Everyone? I'm wondering uh, what it is that you're looking forward to <clears throat> at the moment. Got anything you're looking forward to? Anything special coming up? Uh, maybe a uh, marriage celebration? Maybe it's a birthday? Although you reach a point where you stop looking forward to those. Maybe you've got a party coming up that you're counting the days down to. Maybe there's a show, a sporting event. Maybe there's a movie coming out soon. You're really looking forward to seeing it. Uh, maybe you've been looking forward to this weekend. It's a long weekend. Chance to uh, slow down a little bit from work or, or school or whatever. Maybe, though, maybe it's not so much a good thing that you're looking forward to. You're actually looking forward to the end of a bad thing. Maybe you've not been feeling all that well. Got the flu or cold, maybe something even more serious. And you're just looking forward to it being over. Feeling a bit better. At our place, we're going through our very first HSC year, as well as a school certificate year, and so we are just counting the days down until the exams are finished. 12th of November, fireworks at the Smith household. Maybe some of you are here, and all this discussion is actually a little bit depressing for you because you can't think of anything that you're looking forward to. You look into the future and all you can see stretching on are jobs and stress and commitments and bills and perhaps poor health. And you can't see any relief in sight. Friends, whatever your life situation this morning, I'm hoping that this morning you're going to get some measure of encouragement because... God does not want you to go through this life with nothing to look forward to. God wants you to know that no matter how bleak things may or may not seem at the moment, God wants you to know that the best is yet to come. God wants you to know that the time is coming when it will all be good. Now the Bible calls this sort of positiveness about the future. God calls this hope. And the New Testament especially refers to hope as a really important part of following Jesus. Hope is listed right up there with faith and love as one of the really vital parts of being a Christian. In Colossians, the Apostle Paul even speaks of faith and love as springing from hope. That faith and love originate from hope. That faith and love actually grow out of the nurturing soil of hope which sort of makes sense. Because is it not the way that what you expect to happen in the future, that will affect the way you are living now? Uh, I know a bloke who expects in the near future that his job is going to vanish because of a company restructure. And so he is spending his time now looking for a new job. As I speak, mobsters are planning now what they are going to wear next Saturday night. Because... Is it not the case that what we think the future will hold, that will influence what you're doing now? And that's why God wants you to be a person of hope. God wants you to know that your future is very bright indeed. He wants you to know that the best is yet to come. He wants you to know that it's going to be all good eventually. And he wants you to know that so that now you can be living the best possible way. And so my hope is that over the next few weeks here at Morning Church, my hope is that we'll be able to grasp a really nice clear picture of just what it is that God has in store for us in the future.
And having seen what he's got in store for us, that we'll be spurred on to live for it as people of hope, as, as he wants us to be. And I thought this morning we get the whole thing started by just confining ourselves really to the Old Testament to sort of see what it was that God's people were looking forward to even before Jesus stepped foot on this planet. Because what you discover is that even within the Old Testament, the future of God's people, it's incredibly bright. Bright for two reasons. The first one being the presence of an unfailing creator. And for this, I'd like us to revisit just that snippet from Psalm 33 that Wayne read from earlier and which he led us in prayer for. Listen to these words. It's it's tucked away in a psalm that's all about the greatness of God who's created everything around us. He holds the waters of the sea together. He looks down on mankind. He can do whatever he wants. And in the midst of this description of this magnificent creator God, the point is made, verse 16, no king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all its great strength, it can't save. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love. To deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine, we wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love rest upon me, O Lord, even as we put our hope in you. And do you see what those verses are really getting at? It's the idea that the hope of Israel, in a very real sense, is it's actually God himself. And so the psalmist says that his confidence about the future, it's not based on having the biggest army, it's not based on having the best horses or the most high-tech weapons. The psalmist's hope is based on the power of God, that he created everything and he can do whatever he wants. The, the psalmist's hope is based on the character of God that he has unfailing love and unfailing mercy and unfailing power. And look, even though that's just one psalm that I'm quoting there, this is a sentiment that gets repeated time and time and time again. Psalm 9, Psalm 22, 31, 37, 39, 42, 43, 52, 62, 65, 69. I could just keep rattling them out. Over and over and over again, the same point is made. It's in the prophets too. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, run through the prophets. It's the same lesson. It is the lesson that the Lord God Almighty himself is the hope of his people. It's a bit like a child who's eagerly waiting for their birthday and they're excited about the presents that they're going to get, not because they know what they're going to get for presents, But they've got excitement, they've got confidence, they've got hope because they have parents who love to give them good things. See, see, that's Israel with Yahweh in the Old Testament. They might be unsure of exactly what's going to happen, but they still have hope about it because of the very nature of God. Corey Tamboon a Christian sister, well-known as a Holocaust survivor, well-known for helping many Jews uh, escape from the Nazis. Before she died, Corey Tamboon said, Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. It's a good thought. Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. That's the lesson here in the Old Testament. 
the lesson that the hope of God's people is actually based in the very character of God himself. He's good and he's sovereign. And friends, especially this side of the cross, we can see that. Especially this side of the cross, we can see that even though we might have to face an unknown future, we face it with a known God. So we can have hope simply because of who God is. Now, is that a good thing to hear this morning? Because maybe some of you are here and, and your future really just is up in the air. You've got stuff coming up and you don't know how it's going to turn out. Can you hear the encouragement? Your future may be a little unknown. Your God is not. And he's good. And he's sovereign. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and shield. And can I say in passing that that's why when the Bible uses the word hope, it does so in a much more confident and positive way than we do. Because I might say things like, we might say things like, gee, I hope the price of petrol comes down soon. Or I hope South Sydney make the grand final. (laughs) Now you see, they might be nice thoughts, but they're unlikely to happen. That's really just wishful sort of thinking. But in the Bible, hope is far more certain, far more confident than that because hope is grounded in the very character of God. He is good and he can do anything. And look, if that's all the Old Testament had to say about the hope of God's people, I reckon that would be enough. The simple encouragement that as God's people, we have a bright future by virtue of being God's people. But the The Old Testament doesn't stop there because the hope of Israel is not only based on the presence of an unfailing creator, it's based on the promise of an unblemished creation. And it's here that we touch down on that reading from Isaiah 65, verse 17. Behold, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will be remembered, will not be remembered, sorry, nor will they come to mind. Now that verse is written at a very dark period in Israel's history. Uh, It's written to the exiles, sitting in captivity in Babylon, sitting under the judgment of God. And in verse 17, God assures them that though their, their, their present situation is dark indeed, they still have a glorious future in store for them. That out of the ruins of Israel, in fact out of the ruins of this entire broken world, God is going to bring in a new creation. Behold, I will create new heavens and a new earth. It's a very deliberate echo of the very first verse of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Well, now God's going to build a new one. Because you see, as many of you are aware, the Old Testament picks up with an account of a good creation which goes tragically bad. In a monumental stuff-up, humanity takes things into their own hands, decide to run things their own way, decides to make decisions independent of God, decides that they know better than God, and what happens is what we now see every time we turn on the news on our tellies. Violence, injustice, mayhem, abuse, corruption, perversion. But You turn on the telly and is it not a mess out there in here? And you see, against that background, God in the Old Testament promises an amazing thing. He promises to fix the world up. Starts with those promises to Abraham. He promises to use Abraham's family so as to fix the world up. And the story of the Old Testament is basically the story of God using Abraham's family, using Israel, so as to fix the world up. And it's, look, it's a long and complicated story. 
because Israel turned out to be a very difficult people to work with. But the ultimate goal of it all, the bottom line in all the action through the Old Testament, is that God is working to fix the world up, to get rid of wickedness, to get rid of evil. And in Isaiah 65, it's perhaps the most famous description of it in the Old Testament. Behold, I will create new heavens and a new earth. Please notice that it's new heavens, plural. It's a reference to the stars and the planets and the sun. And Please notice that the hope of God's people is therefore not to be in heaven when we die. The hope of God's people is to be in a new creation when we die. Because look, you, you, look, you uh, look at the movies or you read books or TV ads like that Philadelphia cream cheese one at the moment and you get the picture that when we die we go to heaven. And it's a bit like sitting around on clouds and with wings and all, everything's white and you don't have to really do much. That is never the picture that the Bible depicts of the future of God's people. The future is far more dynamic and vivid and exciting and energising than that. The future of God's people is not to be in heaven. It is to be in the new heavens and on a new earth. It's to be part of a new creation a new physical creation full of enjoyment and pleasure and fulfilment and free of pain and anxiety and tensions. And Isaiah 65 is just beautiful in the poetry that it uses to depict this. Verse 19. The sound of weeping and of crying will be heard in it no more. Never again will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who doesn't live out his years. Across our four churches... Several of our brothers and sisters know the tragedy of losing a child. Sue and I went through three miscarriages. Each of those had its own set of hurts and confusions. I cannot, I cannot begin to imagine what it's like to lose a child after they're born. And one day, it'll be gone. Never to happen again. They will build houses and dwell in them, verse 21. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. No longer will they build houses and others live in them or plant and others eat. Across our churches, lots of brothers and sisters know the injustice and the outrage that comes from having the works of your own labour taken away from you. To have your property stolen, no one has ever caught for it. The pain of a divorce made worse by an unfair settlement. The irritation that comes at work when people take credit for stuff you've done. You work on a project at school or or for an exam and you get a disappointing result because of preferential treatment or unfair marking. Because other classes do stuff that you didn't do. You get bullied at school, you get bullied at work. You suffer pain and misfortune, sometimes even physical abuse at the hands of other people. I was chatting to a family uh, who used to be at DPC but have since moved away. They told me of the time when the mum came home with her little boy only to open and unlock the front door to be confronted by two intruders in her home. She ordered them out of the house hoping that the unexpectedness of her arrival would sort of startle them and they'd just run away. But the older of the two men simply shut the door behind her told her they weren't going anywhere and I can still just hear the tremble in her voice even 
as she, talk, as she talked about just the fear that she had of what was going to happen to her boy, what might happen next. And a day is coming when that sort of outrage will evaporate. You won't even need to lock your door. You won't need to take out an insurance policy. There won't be any need for police or lawyers or law courts or watchdog agencies. In fact, such is the harmony of this new world that it closes with this delightful poetic description of animals that are normally at each other sitting down and feeding alongside one another. Verse 25. The wolf and the lamb will feed together and the lion will eat straw like the ox. Dust will be the serpent's food. Friends, here is a new earth where hostility and antagonism and tension and aggression and conflict, it'll be gone. And it'll be a new creation no longer controlled and dictated to by the evil one. That's what that intriguing little reference in verse 25 to is about the dust being the serpent's food. It's again hearkening back to, to uh, Genesis, the serpent that tempted Adam and Eve, but who is now humbled and powerless, left to eat nothing but the dirt beneath our feet. Because in this new heavens and in this new earth, the old has just gone. A dim memory. Now, can you begin to just get a glimmer of that this morning? It's almost impossible to get your head around because we are so locked into a world where stuff just goes wrong. But just can you believe it? That all that stuff that is presently making life difficult for you, the stuff that is tempting you and leading you to sin, the hurt and the confusion that you sometimes feel, the physical sickness and the feelings of pain and loss that you have to get through, the misunderstandings, the struggles at work, the struggles at school, the struggles at home, gone. Distant memory. That was the hope of Israel. It was the hope of God's people in the Old Testament. And it's our hope. The New Testament picks up all this sort of imagery, applies it to those of us who follow Jesus, that we too look forward to uh, the new heavens and a new earth, a new creation. Uh, It's picked up uh, very much in Revelation 21, which describes it as a place where God himself will wipe away every tear from your eyes. Indeed, the amazing thing is that you and I, as people of God this side of the cross... We have what the New Testament describes as an even better hope than the one described here in Isaiah. I mean, how does that work? Isaiah 65, that sounds like perfection. How on earth are you going to get better than that? Well, it's because of what Jesus does. And next week we'll think about that. For now, though, I reckon there's enough here to bring a lot of comfort. Here already is enough now to bring a lot of hope. Even now we can see, friends, the best is yet to come. And that can make a big difference now. I was recently reading a true story of a commuter flight in the US where the pilot, a bloke named Henry Dempsey, heard an unusual noise at the back of the plane. True story. He handed control over to the uh, 
uh, co-pilot and then went back to check it out. But when he reached the tail section, the plane hit an air pocket. Dempsey was tossed against the rear door and that's when he discovered what the noise was. The rear door wasn't shut properly. So when he hit it, the door swung open. He was instantly sucked out of the jet. The co-pilot saw this red light suddenly appear on the dashboard showing that the door was open. He radioed the nearest airport, asked permission to make an emergency landing and then said that the pilot had just been sucked out of the plane and could they get a helicopter to search the area. After the plane landed, they found poor old Henry Dempsey holding on to the outside ladder of the aircraft. Somehow he had caught the ladder, held on for 10 minutes at 200 miles an hour, 4,000 feet in the air, kept holding on until it landed. They actually reckon the report, I don't know whether it's true, the report said that it took him 15 minutes to get his fingers off the ladder. And they said the thing that kept him just hanging on was that he knew that eventually that plane was going to have to land. The thing that just kept him hanging on was that come time was going to be over. There's a life a bit like that. Aren't there times that you really just feel as if you're hanging on for dear life? Friends, as followers of, Je- as followers of Jesus, we know that it's going to land sometime. There is an unfailing creator who is going to bring in an unblemished creation. And that's the hope that helps us hold on. Thomas Fuller, a famous English doctor, once wrote, if it wasn't for hope, the heart would break. Friends, put your hope in the Lord. For with the Lord is unfailing love and with him is full redemption. And a day is coming when he will create new heavens and a new earth and the sound of weeping and crying will be heard no more. Now that is a future worth living for now. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the promise of a new creation. Father, thank you that it's not an empty promise because you are an unfailing God. Thank you for your faithfulness, your righteousness, your mercy. And thank you that one day we will experience that in all its fullness without any sin or tarnish. Father, we really long for that day. But until it comes, help us to persevere and help us to help each other endure. Amen.